0: And turn with me in your Bibles to uh, the Gospel of Mark, uh, Mark chapter 1. Uh, We'll be reading verses 21 through 28, that's on page 836. If you're using the Pew Bible, page 836, uh, Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse uh, 21. This is the uh, word of the living God. And they, that's Jesus and the disciples whom he has called, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed. So that they question among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits. And they obey Him. And at once, His fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. Lord, life and health and breath and everything else. And upon top of all that... You have brought us to this place, that we might be with Your people, and that You would speak to us by Your Spirit through Your Word. So help us, Lord, we pray, to know Your presence, even in the midst. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The uh, well-known 20th century evangelical Carl Henry, some of you may have heard of him. He once wrote, the overriding issue of the 20th century is the crisis of authority. Uh, He wrote that in the 20th century, of course. I wonder if he was alive today, uh, what he would say of the 21st century. I don't know if there's a, is there a bigger word than crisis? Um, Maybe mega crisis uh, in authority. John Calvin wrote 500 years earlier, There's nothing holier or better or safer uh, than to content ourselves with the authority of Christ alone. Nothing better than the authority of Christ alone. We have military authority and police authority and authority in state and church and family. Uh, Perhaps uh, uh, authority can be compared to a beautiful high-peaked mountain. We would all love to stand on top, but nobody wants to be under it. Right? Think about that. We all want to be in authority, but no one wants to be under authority. Um, In our world today Mark wants us to know that when God's kingdom comes to town In the person of King Jesus The first thing we see is that the authority and power The reign and rule of Jesus is made evident It's made manifest So he's going to walk us through a Sabbath day with Jesus He's going to show us how he preached the word Cast out a demon Made people whole And his fame spread where are we in Mark's gospel? Well, you remember, history has been anticipating, waiting for this moment. Jesus has announced uh, the time uh, is fulfilled. Uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, repent and believe the gospel. So all of history, this is the climax point that we're reading and walking with Jesus at this time. Kingdom of God's at hand. Yes, it's, it's not here in its fullness because Jesus will later teach us to pray. Uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But... Uh, he'll also say that if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then, uh, then you know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so it's here. It's arrived uh, in the person of Jesus. And so people are called to repent and believe the gospel. We looked at that last time. Now That's important, too, because Jesus is saying as soon as he comes um, to these people, the first message they hear from him is that you need to change. Uh, you, need to be, uh, you need to be called from your sin and you need to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot go on as you are uh, in your sin. He's come to establish His reign and rule over all things, including over the hearts and lives of the people to whom He comes. As Jesus would teach later, the kingdom of God, that is the reign and rule of Jesus, uh, is within you. That's where He reigns and rules first. Over your heart and over your life. We're sinners. We need to turn from sin embrace the only one who can save. That was Jesus' message. And then we said, well, who's going to follow such a message? And then we saw, well, unlikely people. Jesus takes ordinary folks like fishermen going about their daily work and He's going to do extraordinary things through them. But He says, first follow. First follow and then I will make you become fishers of men. You stay with Me. You draw near to Me. You spend time with Me. You hear My Word. Uh, and I will, and, and hear what Jesus said? I will make you like me. I will make you become like me. A fisher of men. Not only will you be saved from your sin, but you will be transformed into my very, into my very likeness. And so what's the response of those fellows? Well, wherever you lead me, I will go. I will come. I want to be with you. And I will come immediately. I will come when I hear the call. Of Jesus, And so, that's where we are. And now, uh, as the king uh, carries on his ministry, disciples in tow, it's time to fish. Uh, now, just where is this fishing hole to which Jesus takes us in Mark 1.21? Well, it's a little odd, maybe. Uh, the place is Capernaum, northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, a couple miles from where the Jordan River meets the sea. And we find Jesus fishing uh, in a synagogue, a place of worship and teaching, Uh, where the Jews would gather. There are the remains of a second century synagogue in Capernaum today, if you ever go there to visit. Uh, They claim that some of the floor tiles in that synagogue date back to the uh, original synagogue of Jesus' day. Same tiles. Well, could be. So Jesus here is given the opportunity to read from the scroll and he sits down, as they would do in that day as rabbis, and begins teaching as any rabbi would. And he's given this opportunity, so somehow uh, they, they welcome Jesus in. But this day, this day in that synagogue, ooh, things will be, will be different. This day in that synagogue, folks would not be uh, sleeping through the message of Jesus and checking their watches or scrolling through their iPhones, or counting the tiles on the synagogue floor. Not today. This day will be different. This day, they will hear a voice they have never heard before. Because when God's kingdom comes to town in the person of King Jesus, He comes with the authority and the power of His Word. When was the last time that you were completely uh, transfixed by a speaker. Someone preaching or someone teaching or wherever it might be. When was the last time you were just transfixed? You were were just listening so close. Has that ever happened to you? I remember many years ago, maybe 20 or so, I can't remember exactly. I was at a Banner of Truth conference just over the, the border here in Pennsylvania. And I had the privilege to hear a talk given by Ian Murray who was the one-time assistant of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones at Westminster Chapel in England. And he was speaking on the um, relationship of George Whitfield and John Wesley. So something from church history. Now, you would think that a talk about church history would put you to sleep. Well, of course, he was, he was drawn on all sorts of Bible passages, the passages they preach, their relationship, and their desire for the glory of God. And he, and he wove the story of these two men together, highlighting the work of God in their lives. And the thing was, so he spoke for about an hour. And then he said something like this. Well, my time is up. Um, I really need to stop. And then there was a voice. I was sitting in the back. There was a voice somewhere in the front of the auditorium, softly just said, ah, go on. And then, in the, and then where I was sitting, someone else said, Go on. And then someone down, in the, down, down on the other side said, Go on! And then, and then everybody would say, Go on! I've never... And he went on. I've never... I don't think I've ever had that experience since. There was something, something about that talk that was just different. Um, I think the Lord's blessing was upon that place and upon that speaker. Something was going on. While Jesus begins to teach in the synagogue, often throughout the Gospels, this is where we'll find Jesus, later the Apostle Paul, bringing the message of the Gospel to the covenant people of God. That is, those who already had the promises, they had the covenants, and they were awaiting the coming of the Messiah. they go there first, first to the Jew. And we've already been told what his message would have been. Time's fulfilled, kingdoms at hand, repent and believe in the Gospel. And as he teaches... This is what we read happened in verse 22. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. They were astonished at his teaching. That doesn't quite cover it, that word astonished. Uh, you might have a translation that says they were amazed at his teaching. The word that's hard to translate can be translated in a lot of ways. Literally, the word means to be struck to be struck with panic or shock, uh, uh, kind of like being hit in the stomach. <clears throat> Thunderstruck," you could translate it. Dumbfounded. Uh, actually it means to lose your sense of self-possession, that is, out of your senses. Just This is not a warm, fuzzy feeling they had. This has a bit of fear, a bit of alarm to it. Now, why? Why this response to the teaching of Jesus? Well, we can certainly imagine some possibilities. We know the rest of the Gospel story. We know, for instance, Jesus is set apart from the scribes. Jesus comes speaking the truth. While the scribes, experts in the law, often Pharisees, we know from the Sermon on the Mount, for instance, they would often misinterpret God's law. Uh, Jesus spoke the truth. Jesus uh, spoke about matters of eternity and life and death. Eternal matters. While the scribes, we know, often would speak about things that were more, were more trivial. Uh, we know Jesus used lots of illustrations. He'd use parables. He'd speak in, in plain language. Perhaps the scribes you know, were maybe a little dry and, and difficult to understand and, in comparison. We know Jesus speaks out of love for His hearers seeking their good while we know from the Gospels the scribes would often seem to be unconcerned and more condemning of their hearers. We know that Jesus spoke to the heart and conscience of people while the scribes were concerned with looking good and externals. So all those things are true of what set Jesus apart from the scribes. But Mark... Mark gives us the specific reason folks were so astonished by Jesus. Mark says this he, he taught them, he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, the fact is, the scribes uh, would quote each other, they'd quote other rabbis uh, to buttress uh, their teaching. Um, finding numerous authorities to undergird what they were saying. So they'd say, uh, 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 here's the teaching, Rabbi so-and-so says this, Rabbi so-and-so says this, Rabbi so-and-so says this. And they would, they would buttress the teaching that way with other authorities. Jesus would speak like this. Uh, we find out, for instance, in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you, I say to you, Jesus himself, Well, you think about it this way. It's like reading a book. You might pick up a book you want to read for, to encourage your, your spiritual walk, and you open the book, and like half the page is footnotes. You know, that was the scribes. Uh, A book that, they'd say stuff, but, but it was all, there's all sorts of footnotes. You open the book of Jesus' sermon, no footnotes. He's not quoting anybody. He speaks with authority, He preached God's Word clear and simple. The Puritans would speak of preaching the plain style, which simply meant letting the Scripture speak for itself and a preacher or teacher getting out of the way. His message came straight from the mind and heart of the Father. The scribes quoted fallible sources, other authorities, trying to build up the importance of what they were saying with the authority of men. But Jesus just spoke the very Word of God. And so he himself spoke with authority. The authority and power, friends, is in the Word. And the Holy Spirit blesses the preaching of the Word and the teaching of the Word. And that Word comes, we find out here in this passage, uh, with power. And it comes with authority. Later in the New Testament, we'll read the Apostle Peter, uh, for instance, speaking to the, uh, the church about this. Uh, importance of understanding the power of the Word of God, and he'll say this: Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through how, how has anyone come to be born again? Well, says the apostle Peter, you're born again through the living and abiding Word of God. Why? For all flesh, he says, is like grass; all its glory, like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Men come and go. Their words, ideas, opinions come and go. But the word is eternal in the heavens. And we have new life through the word. The word's living and abiding. Authority and power in the word of God, not in the words of men. This is why Paul said to Timothy, preach the Word in season and out of season when it's popular to talk about the Bible and when it's not popular to talk about the Bible. When it's popular in America to to quote a passage of Scripture and when it's not popular in America to uh, to quote a passage of Scripture. You do it anyway. Because you know it's only this Word. The living and abiding Word through which men and women and children come faith in Jesus. We need to hear the voice of God. We need more of the Word. This is the need of the hour. In your life, in the church's life, in the life of our nation, not not anything else. More of the Word of God, which has power to change us. So when King Jesus comes to town, He comes with the power and authority of His Word. Now, how do we know From this passage, that his word comes with power and authority. Well, yes, the people are astonished. It's like, they're out of their senses. this This is something. But also, no sooner is the authoritative word of Jesus proclaimed, than something else happens. Verse 23. And, remember Mark, immediately, Jesus is teaching, immediately, there was in the synagogue, in their synagogue, A man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. No sooner is the authoritative word of Jesus proclaimed, but Mark says immediately, when that happens, a man with an unclean spirit speaks up and interrupts Jesus' teaching. Now, occasionally through the years while preaching, uh, you know, I've had some loud children maybe to compete with. I've had train whistles, you know, go off in the past um, in different places when I'm preaching. I've had some amens and praise the Lord's in the service. And that's great. But I've never had someone cry out in the middle of a sermon and disrupt the service. No sooner does Jesus teach, but an unclean spirit is revealed and speaks up. Why? Because, friends, the presence of Jesus arouses, in the Bible, the presence of Jesus arouses the powers of darkness. And the authoritative word of Jesus arouses a rebellious heart. I know if you've been doing spring cleaning, we have at our house, gardening. Gardening. We've been moving rocks around in the backyard, cleaning up flower beds. What happens when you pick up a, a rock uh, that's maybe been sitting in that bed for a long time, and a uh, nice Saturday uh, beautiful sunny morning, you pick up that rock and you look underneath, and immediately what happens? You've got You've got critters scream, scurrying, scurrying out of the light. Because the light exposes the darkness. And Jesus comes. And immediately, the Bible says, this unclean spirit <laughs> speaks up. Now you may remember, Satan was rebuked. Really, only a few verses later, in Mark, or earlier in Mark 1. Satan was rebuked, defeated by Jesus in the wilderness. Oh, but he's still prowling around, we find out seeking to create havoc and bondage and destruction. But the very presence and appearance of Jesus, like a great light, exposes what lies hidden in the darkness. In the synagogue that day, there was a man, presumably participating in the acts of worship and study like all the rest, gathered in that place, looking like all the rest. Nothing in particular to cause this man to stand out in the crowd or, or be identified as anyone unusual. Unusual. And yet the Bible says he was a man with an unclean spirit. He was a man, in other words, in bondage. He was a man in need. He was a man needing rescue. He was there looking like like all the rest. Actually, the Bible says, uh, you know, it says our translation with an unclean spirit. It actually could be translated actually in a spirit, in an unclean one, Not in Christ, not in the Holy Spirit, but in an unclean spirit. And that unclean spirit was in him. Luke will speak of an unclean demon. And this unclean spirit, we're told, uses the man's vocal organs. He cries out. It means a deep, terrible cry, a shout. And he's not crying out in faith, but he's crying out in fear and in antagonism. And he says to Jesus, What with reference to us, and what with reference to you? In other words, What do you have to do with us? Us. Not only this particular unclean spirit, but this unclean spirit knows that that if Jesus has come, uh, there's ramifications for all unclean spirits. That is, what do you have to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth, He says, the Holy One of God. I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Isn't that amazing to you? This unclean spirit recognizes and acknowledges the deity of the Messiah in Jesus. You are the Son of God. You're the Holy One of God. Later in Mark, Jesus will encounter a man among the tombs oppressed by demons. He'll identify Jesus as the Son of the Most High God, the Son of God. Here it is, the Holy One. Of God, this should amaze you. James two nineteen tells us that even the demons believe; they know God is real, and they shudder at the thought. They know it; He is, you see, and they know it. But doesn't that strike you as strange? This man identifies the Messiah. Now, this year is the uh, this year is the hundredth anniversary of the publication in 1923 of J. Gresham Machen's Christianity and Liberalism, a man the Lord used uh, in uh, bringing the Orthodox Presbyterian Church into existence. When he wrote that book a hundred years ago, Christianity and Liberalism, he argued that liberalism is not a form of Christianity, uh, but um, another religion altogether. That is, that those who... Call themselves churches today, but deny. Here's the thing: those that call themselves churches today, uh, but deny the person and work and glory of Jesus and the authority of His Word, are they're not they're not like a Christian option for you? They're not Christianity light. They're not Christianity for the intellectually aware. They're not Christianity for the friendlier or more inclusive kind of Christian. They are no Christianity at all. When they deny the power, the glory, the personhood of Jesus and His Word. And here's the proof: The demons, we could say, the demons are, are more conservative than the liberals. We can say that. Why? Because the Bible says the demons know who Jesus is. They don't love Him. They don't serve Him. But they know. By the way, what's an unclean spirit doing in the place of worship? That's kind of odd, isn't it? I mean, why would would Jesus go with the Gospel first to the place where people are already ostensibly gathered to worship God? Wolves will arise among you, Paul told the church. Here's the thing, friends. No one would have known... That this man had an unclean spirit within him, holding him in bondage. Until Jesus came into the midst. No one would have known unless the authoritative and powerful word of Jesus had come. Apparently, this man with an unclean spirit had not been revealed before. I mean, the scribes were toiling away, (laughs) doing their work. But this man apparently was quite at home in the synagogue under their ministry, never disturbed, never challenged, never in need to respond. As long as he was dealing with simply an external conformity showing up at synagogue, no one knew what lay beneath his heart until Jesus comes by his word. Superficial religion, oh, it was just fine for him. He'd be in his place. A comfortable service where no one asks much of him, no demands upon his life, no hard accountability to God. Oh, all was quiet. But when the light comes and exposes what is hidden, and Mark says immediately this unclean spirit comes to light. Well, friends, this is what was told of Jesus at his birth. He would cause, remember, he was. He would cause the rising and falling of many in Israel. And, remember, the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. That's what happens when Jesus is present. Your thoughts and your hearts are revealed by Jesus. Jesus continues to do the same today, of course, wherever His Word is faithfully proclaimed. His Word comes with authority. It's the Word of the King. It's not the Word of men. The question is, do we recognize it as such? Do you hear the voice of the King when you hear the Word of God? Or is it just another Word? When you read the Scripture yourself or with your children or in worship, do you understand it comes from the Holy One of God? Many years ago, when I was in another denomination... I remember uh, where the speaker was lecturing about the fact that uh, in the denomination in which I was a part, uh, he was saying, you know, preaching had become passé. Nobody wants to come and hear the preaching of the word anymore. It's not relevant to our modern day. How do you expect people to come? And he made a big point that that Jesus taught without authority. And uh, he was going on about this and saying that our, our preaching should be without authority and more conversational. And so... So someone raised their hand in that meeting and and said, well, wait a minute, that that passage you're talking about, doesn't it say, not that Jesus taught without authority, but doesn't it say that they were astonished because He taught with authority? (laughs) And He had it completely backward. You see, the word of the king uh, is not the same as the word of the janitor. The word of your parents is not the same as the word of your neighbor. It comes to you with the authority of the King. And friends, wherever God's truth is upheld today, wherever God's people faithfully teach and preach that Word, wherever you go forth and share a Scripture or uplift Christ and exalt Him uh, in our world today, uh, and the evils of sin and immorality and disobedience to Christ uh, are made clear, the evil one will not go silently. We can be certain... That if we faithfully, persistently, unashamedly hold up the word of Christ on marriage, sexuality, the image of God, male and female, Christian living, covenant faithfulness, one Savior, one Lord, one way, the light will always expose the darkness. First of all, in our own hearts and then in the hearts of others. Quickly now, when the kingdom of God... Comes to town in the person of King Jesus. He comes with the authority of his word and he comes to set free those who are in bondage. The demon's question in verse 24 to Jesus, Have you come to destroy us? could also be translated simply as a statement. You've come to destroy us. In the former case, first the answer of Jesus would have been yes. <laughs> In the latter case, the demon recognizes that Jesus has indeed come to do battle with the evil one, with Satan, and with sin. 1 John 3.8 makes this purpose plain. The reason the Son of God appeared was not to make you healthy and wealthy. The reason the Son of God appeared was not to, to make you do well and successful in your business. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil Hebrews 2.14 makes it plain. Since therefore the children, that's us, share in flesh and blood, He Himself, that's Jesus, likewise, partook of the same things, that through death, that was Good Friday, He might destroy the one, that's Resurrection Sunday, who has the power of death, that is the devil. Why? And deliver, deliver, rescue all those who through fear of death were subject to death. To lifelong slavery, you see. That's why there's Good Friday. That's why there's Resurrection Day. Because Jesus comes and He comes to set free those who are in bondage. Who's in bondage? Well, the Bible says we all are. We are either, Romans says, we are either slaves to sin. Or we are slaves to Christ. That is, we are either servants of sin that leads to death, or we are servants of righteousness, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, which leads to life. Jesus comes to set people free. Whatever has captured your heart and devotion and love apart from Jesus, and has its grip and talons into your heart and mind and life, know today that Jesus comes in order to set you free from that. Whether it's bondage to yourself, living for yourself, only thinking about yourself, whether it's bondage to, to other sin, whether it's bondage to the opinions of men, whether there's an unclean spirit, whether there's a... There's an, there's an evil word that somehow has lodged its uh, way into your life and you're following not the ways of God, but the ways of men. Whatever it is that, that has captured your love and heart, apart from Jesus, Jesus comes, this passage says, to set you free. Now, this is a wonderful thing. Because, of course, uh, listen to what we read in verse 25. Jesus rebuked him when this unclean spirit spoke. Jesus, of course, rebuked him. Saying, be silent and come out of him. Be silent could be translated be muzzled. That's how it's translated elsewhere in the scripture. It means simply to make speechless. It's much stronger than be quiet. The Bible talks about Jesus muzzling the Sadducees. Later in Mark, out on the sea, the wind and the waves are terrifying the disciples. And the Bible says Jesus will muzzle the storm. Cease. Be muzzled. Be silent. So Jesus, Jesus does show His power and authority. And if Jesus simply wanted to demonstrate His authority so that there would be no question as to who was almighty, He could have stopped with, be silent. You've got to stop right there. Just be silent. And Jesus could have carried on His teaching. If He was only concerned that they would know that His Word comes with authority and power... He could have stopped right there. But also to demonstrate His love for sinners and His plan and purpose to set those in bondage free. (laughs) He says, be silent and come out. It's It's a sharp command to be obeyed at once. And the unclean spirit obeys. He's come, friends, to destroy the works of the devil, which means the silencing of Satan and the setting free of those in bondage. Verse 27, that unclean spirit comes out and they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits. They obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. The Bible says even as this unclean spirit comes out of this man, he one more act of destruction and convulses him on the floor. Means to uh it was a medical term, apparently, for uh medical writers would use for the rotating of the stomach. We talk about metaphorically someone being twisted into knots. It's what happens to the, the epileptic in another passage of Scripture. But this is no biological ailment here. This is an unclean spirit who's commanded to Jesus to come out of that man. And the spirit cries out with a loud voice. could be translated screaming with a loud scream. But he has to obey. Comes out in obedience to Jesus. And then, (laughs) the unclean spirit comes out. The Bible doesn't give us all the details here, but they were all amazed because that that man would have would have stood up. And uh, with a congregation of worshipers looking on, they see this man rise. He's now made whole. He's set free by the power of Jesus. And we say, well, hold on here. Why was this man made free? Why did Jesus make this man free? Did this man somehow stand out to Jesus because of His good works? Or His impeccable moral resume? No. He was a man in need. He was a man in bondage. He was a man helpless to save himself. And Jesus comes to him in mercy and grace, sets his love and care upon him, and sets him free. One word from Jesus. Remember the centurion? Jesus, just say the word. My servant will be healed. I know it will be so. You need only speak. This is what Jesus does. Satan, all his hosts, are under the sovereign authority and power of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So what's happening here in Mark 1? What's going on? King Jesus has has marched into enemy-occupied territory and declares He is sovereign. He is Lord and He's come with His Word to destroy the work of Satan and set free, set free those who are captive to Him. That's why He's here. He's a deceiver. He's been lying from the beginning and He seeks our destruction. But Jesus comes to set us free. Free from sin. Free from bondage to the evil one. Free from ourselves. Free from the opinions of men. Free from our shame and free from our guilt and free from our burdens. Jesus said to Peter in another place, I will build My church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, that's what's going on here. Jesus is building His church in Capernaum and in Pole Tavern. 1936. Faith Church begins. Eighty-seven years Later. Jesus is still the King. He is still speaking His Word. And our job is to minister that Word to one another, to our families, to our neighbors, to our community, and trust in His promise that He will build His His church. He's still bringing the authority and power of His Word to bear in the hearts and lives of those who are captives to sin. And He sets us free because He's died in the place of sinners. God demonstrates His own love towards us in this that while we were still sinners or in bondage Christ died for us what's the response to this amazing word and authority and power of Jesus well the bible simply tells us and here's mark again at once immediately his fame you see his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. It means a report. It means the report of Jesus. The report of what happened when Jesus came to their town, came into their synagogue. The report of what He had said. Uh, The report of the man who had been set free. They went home from worship. And what was on their lips? Well, those benches were pretty hard at the synagogue today. I think I counted six flies. Um, I actually, I don't know what happened. I was asleep. No. No, no. The Bible says, these folks went home from worship, and What was on their tongue? What was on their hearts? Oh, they were giving a report to everyone they could find of Jesus. What He had said. What He had done. And how a life had been changed. And His fame, the glory of His name spread throughout all of so that as we go on in Mark, crowds are going to come because they've heard of Jesus and His glory. That's what happens when the Kingdom of God comes to town. When Jesus comes, He speaks His Word and lives are changed. May that be true here. May that be true in my life. May that be true in your life. And, and as you go home, to spread the fame of Jesus with your children, with your friends, with your neighbors, that when they see you after church and they say, well, oh, how was church today? And you say, well, let me tell you about Jesus. May that be true of us today. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, oh, we long to see and hear more of Jesus. We thank You for Your Word and we thank You, Lord, for Your grace that Jesus came to that town and that synagogue and to that man who came that day to worship, to be with the other folks from the synagogue, not knowing that that was the day, that Jesus would meet with him. Not knowing that that was the day uh, that the Word of Jesus would come and penetrate and set Him free. Oh Lord, how we pray that that, that would be true of us. That we would be those who know that we've been set free for, through the powerful Word and life and death and resurrection of Jesus. and Share that with all those we meet as we leave. That the fame and glory and name of Jesus would be spread in Salem County and Gloucester County and Cumberland County but that it would first be spread in our very own home. And that our children and grandchildren, our mom and dad and our aunts and uncles would be the first to hear of the fame of this Jesus who has set us free that others might be set free as well.